Guys, I am so excited about our, our teens going to Belize. I go with them every year. We do camp there. We do three nights. God comes in great power, and then they get to do this incredible ministry, both in the schools, and then Ron has got us doing these miracle services at night where I'll be preaching, and the, the teens will be ministering. It just, it's just going to be an amazing trip. Um, so I really, I want to urge you to pray about which envelope to take. I always, at the end of tonight, I will take the largest envelope that is left and put a gift in there so you can save me a lot of money if you take big envelopes. So please do that. All right, folks, we are, uh, could we stand together? We're doing some scripture memory. If you're, if you're with us on this, um, at the giving tables is this second Peter passage. It's 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. But we're going to say this out loud together, and then we're going to turn the screen off, and we're going to do this thing by memory. Here we go. So say it right out loud with me. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Okay, let's turn that off. This is the moment of truth, folks. Here we go. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm struggling a little with some sickness, so I'm just going to close my eyes. Here we go. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Praise God. All right, let's pray. Lord, today is so critical for us to make it in the end. Would you hide me behind your cross, God? Could a stake go into the ground in every single life that is here that they are going to finish? That which you have begun, that which you are going to complete, Lord, I know you're not going to give up on us. But I pray, God, that every one of us would put a stake in the ground saying, I will not give up on Jesus until this thing is over. Please, God, pour out your love, pour out your grace, and teach us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. 
So transformed lives, perseverance. Perseverance is simply this. It's valuing something so much that you will not give up on it. Perseverance is extremely helpful for all areas of life. Last Saturday, Easter Saturday, my brother Jimmy and I played Scrabble. We, uh, I, I try to find ways to connect with my brother, and, and so maybe two, two or three times a month we play Scrabble on Saturday mornings. Well, this was an epic game. We get right down to the end. I am ahead by 11 points. I have one letter left. It is an O, which is worth one point. He's got two letters left, a D and an O, which the D is two, the O is one, and there's no way that he can catch up. And so he is, he needs, he needs to get 12 points in one turn. So he is trying this D and O everywhere. I am so confident that I'm going to win. I show him what I have left because he's going to get that letter when he uses his D and an O. And he's, he's there probably for 10 minutes going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And by this time, I have found because he's tried it so many places, the, the strongest place he has, he's only going to end up getting nine points. So I write down the final score. I put a frown by his. I put a star by mine. I am, I am basically taunting him. And he looks at me and he says, uh, he says, if you got something else to do, he said, I'm not leaving until I've tried absolutely. I said, take your time. Take your time. No problem. And I'm, I'm just enjoying this because there is absolutely no way that he can catch up. Folks, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> so he finds, the, he finds this place to do doc, D-O-C. We look in the dictionary. Doc is a, is, is a word. And the O is on a double letter. And he spells do the other way. And so we've got two, three, four, C is worth three, five, six, seven, then the double letter going the other way, eight, nine, and then the, do, the D that spells do, 10, 11, and then he gets my letter, and he gets 12. And he beats me by one point. Honestly, I was, I, I couldn't be mad. It was such an example of perseverance. I actually called my sister Katie, who plays with us all the time, said, this is what happened. And my poor family, I told the story about four times, but I was just, I was so proud of him for not giving up. When we value something enough, we will not give up on it. Perseverance. So point one today. Perseverance is necessary for salvation. In verse 10. Oh, I'm sorry. Point one is two reasons we need to have perseverance. Number and, and number one under one is for, for our salvation. Peter says this: if you persevere. If, if all of these qualities are yours and increasing, you will never stumble. These qualities, as you grow, they are ensuring you. They are, you're going to grow in confidence. You're going to grow in assurance. And you will never stumble. This is, 
This is extremely important that we understand this. Jesus said in the last days, the love of many is going to grow cold and many are going to fall away. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Here is the problem with the human condition. You are growing one way or the other. You're either growing toward love or you're growing cold to love. We're all growing. And the way we're saved is by enduring to the end. We need to endure to the end. We need to make sure that we don't stumble. Now, I, I learned a lot this week about what it means to stumble. I want to read to you what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So it turns out that we are our brother's keeper, that we are all interconnected, and we actually need each other. We need God, but we need each other to to grow up in Christ, to become strong in Christ. But the very people that we need to help grow strong can make us stumble if we don't grow up in the faith. In the context of this, this is not talking about children. It's talking about childlike faith. It's talking about young believers who are, are, they just started believing. You can be 80 and just have a new faith. And it's very vulnerable when you're young. Until Christ is formed in you, you can stumble over People, the very people that should help us, you can stumble over people. And Jesus says, I'm going to hold everybody accountable for how they made you stumble, but nevertheless, you can stumble over people. There are two groups of people that you can stumble over. First Peter is, uh, the whole book is about persecution. One group that can make you stumble are those that are outside the church. Those who are mocking you, those who are persecuting you, those who are making fun of you, those who are drawing you, luring you to other things, you can stumble because of those who are outside the church. This is what Jesus said. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution becomes of the word, comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. These are people that have received salvation. And with joy, they accept it. But because they don't grow, because they don't get that root, because Christ is not formed in them, they quickly fall away when they get persecuted by others. Until you are unashamed to stand with Jesus publicly, you are very vulnerable. We all need to break the fear of man and to say, I'm all in, and even if other people make fun of me, I am in. I am in and, and those outside are not going to make me stumble. There, there's a second group of people that can make you stumble, and those are the people inside the church. And that's what Second Peter, the whole book, is about. It says in 2.18, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. 
Peter is writing this book because of false teachers and false prophets who are trying to present a Christianity that doesn't change us, that leaves us immoral, leaves us greedy, leaves us doing our own thing. And this, this, these are those inside the church. And you need to be careful because you can stumble over people that are coming in the name of Jesus. In, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is praying for the Galatians. Because those inside the church are trying to bring them back under the law, back under Judaism, bring them back under their right, nobody else's right. And, and Paul says, I'm praying for you until Christ is formed in you because, it, you're, because you're, you're vulnerable. You're, you could stumble over this thing and end up not making it. Those inside the church... We must keep choosing Jesus. John 15, 6 and 7. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Do you see? Do you see Jesus' heart? First, he doesn't make us robots. Once you get saved, you're not a robot and you have to stay in. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to keep believing. You're going to have to remain in him. And if you will do that, there's nothing he won't hold back. He, your favored children, ask whatever you wish. If you'll stay with me, you will see my blessing. You will see my goodness in a thousand ways. But you must choose me again and again and again. In John chapter 6, many of those who were following Jesus stopped following him. He had spoken some things that were confusing to them, and many, it says, turned back. And Jesus has no judgment. People come and go all the time. He doesn't make any judgment on those that went. Maybe they'll come back later. Here's what he does with it. He turns to his disciples, and he says, what about you guys? Are you guys going to leave too? He's asking them, are you in or not? And it's interesting because Peter is the one that answers. And he says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Here's what he's basically saying. We don't, we're as confused as those people were. (laughs) We have no idea what you're saying right now. We're as troubled as they are, but we're not leaving. You have the words of eternal life. Jesus Last, last week, last Saturday, it was right before Easter, there was a big article in the State Journal about church growth. And the church is shrinking in America as far as church attendance. The 20%, in 20 years, 20% less Americans are going to church and are faithful to church. And here's what Jesus says. How about you? Are you leaving too? How about you? Are you in? Are you all in? Everybody gets a chance to go back. I was saved through the the Baptist church, and we were, because of that, I love Baptists. I've got a great allegiance to Baptists. I'm for them 100%. But we had this theology that said, once saved, always saved. And that was one of our phrases. Once saved, always saved. We had another phrase, and it was this. 
My name is written in the Lamb's book of life and there's no erasers in heaven. And I'm in, I'm in a Bible study and we're talking about can people fall away from the faith? And I use that. I just, that's my phrase. I picked it up from my, you know, praise God my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and there's no erasers in heaven. And the lady next to me says, yeah, there are. I'm like, huh? She said, Revelation 3, 5, to him who overcomes, I will not erase his name from the, from the book of life. And I'm like, okay, well, that's scriptural, obviously. Maybe you can fall away. Yeah, if, you're, if you make it, it will be because you persevered. We must persevere to be saved. Secondly, we must persevere to have a fruitful life. 2 Peter 1.8, we'll get to it next week. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if all these qualities are ours and increasing, then we will have a fruitful life. So my question then is, how important is perseverance in this process? Well, look at Luke chapter 8. Verse 15. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a good crop. They hear the word in an honest heart, in a good heart. It gets sown in them. But here's how they bear fruit. By persevering. Every farmer knows that that the season that you sow and the season that you reap are different seasons. You sow in one season, you reap in another season. How do you get to that next season? Perseverance. Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. There is a season for reaping. Somebody said this, and I just love it. If you sow a thought, you're going to reap an act. If you sow an act, you're going to reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you're going to reap a character. This is, this is all about character. Notice in each one of these, it's, it's your, add, add to your faith, your knowledge, add to, add to knowledge your self-control, your perseverance. You have to have this in your life. This is a, a character quality you have to have. Why, why does perseverance get added to self-control? Because first you've got to have, to your faith, first you add virtue or moral excellence. Then you have to add knowledge. Then in your knowledge, we talked about this last, last week, self-control, it's easy to get off. It's easy to make one, get, get off this side or that side. We need, we need to add knowledge or self-control to our knowledge. And then to that, you need to add perseverance. If you have faith and you add virtue, knowledge, and self-control, you're going to have some acts that are, are Christian acts. You're going to be able to be a Christian for that day. But 
You got to add to all of your acts perseverance. You, you, you need to do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day for it to become your whole life. Perseverance needs to be added. This is a necessary element for you and I to become the people of character that God wants us to become. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Fruitfulness does not spring from activity. It springs from relationship. Jesus says, stay in me. I'll make you fruitful. Proverbs uh, 24, 16, one of, one of the most important verses about a successful Christian life. For though the righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. Keep coming back to Jesus. Keep coming back to Jesus. I'm going to commend you today. You're here today. You're here. Well, just because you're a church doesn't mean you're necessarily coming to Jesus. No, but it's a good start. It's a really good start. Keep coming back. Get back up. Peter, interesting, because Peter's the guy that fell several times. He's the guy that sank in the water. He's the guy that denied Jesus three times. He's the guy that got called Satan by Jesus. He kept getting back up. He just kept coming back, kept coming back. Here's how it works. Everybody who finishes wins. That's how God set it up. Everybody who finishes wins. You just have to not give up. Keep never, never, never give up on Jesus. This isn't about great people. It's about a great Savior. All right. So point two, how to persevere. This is my last point. How do you persevere? First, remind yourself of the value of what Jesus has given you. Look at 1 Peter 1. Four through seven. I'm just going to read it from mine because I can't figure out what that is. All right. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not their fault. It's my fault. I'm the one that gave them these scriptures. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now here's verse four. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith is like precious gold. It is being tested. Your faith in Jesus is the most important thing in your whole life. It's the most important thing about you. It is precious, and it's because it's precious, it is being tested. It is being tested by fire. All kinds of difficulties are coming, 
Oftentimes it's the enemy that's doing it, but God has allowed it. You're going to have to hold on to him. You're going to have to keep choosing him. And in that, it's interesting, it's how you become strong. Listen to what Peter says. This is 1 Peter 1, 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. (laughs) Peter says this. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about how difficult it is. Don't worry about all the things in this life that are shifting and changing. Fix your hope on something that can't be taken away. Something that is going to outlast this life. Something that will not perish, can't be spoiled. Fix your hope. It is going to be worth it in the end. If if you struggle down here, if things don't go quite the way you are, don't worry about it. Fix your hope. Hope, folks, is strong. Hope is a powerful, powerful thing. It keeps you from sinking. Look at what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 8. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The problem with Americans is we've got our eyes on the temporal. We've got our eyes on those things that are not going to last. And the secret to becoming strong in Christ is get your eyes off of those. I know we all need to take care of business. We all need to pay our bills. We need to take care of our children. We need to do our stuff. I get that. I get the real world. God gets it. The Father knows you need all of these things. But don't fix your eyes there. That's not the main event. This is how we become strong. We fix our eyes and we remind ourselves what is the most valuable things. Esau loses his birthright because he, it says he despises his birthright. Jacob, uh, which his name means deceiver, is waiting. The deceiver is waiting and he's got this meal ready and he's got the stew stern and it's exactly how Esau likes it. It is handmade for Esau. This temptation is coming from somebody that knows him really well and and Esau comes and he, he smells it and he's really hungry and he's really famished. And d- deceiver says this to him. You want some? You want some? You want some? You want some? And Esau, you can almost see Esau starting to, and, and he pulls back. He said, I just need one thing. I just need your birthright. I just need your birthright. I will give you this temporary Pleasure. I will give you this temporary riches. I will give you this temporary fame. I will give you this temporary thing. He, the deceiver knows you. And he's stirring that stew and getting it ready. Just what you want. Just how you like it. And he's offering it to you. And you're going to have to value that which is eternal over that which is temporal. That's how you say no. That is how you keep your eye on the ball. So... A few weeks ago, we had a leadership thing downstairs, and I told about a dream I had when I was in Montevideo. I was uh, Montevideo, Minnesota. I was pastoring a church there, and it was the night before Easter Sunday. And I had this dream. 
There's three scenes to the dream. In, the, in, in scene number one, we're making crafts in Sunday school. There's five different crafts, and in one of these crafts is a jewel of immense value, and I know it, and I, I want to see the jewel. So I take that craft, and I go into the bathroom, I go into a stall, and I open it up so that I can see that jewel. That's scene one, done. Scene two, I have the jewel, but a friend of mine wanted to carry it. He just wanted to see what it felt like. And I'm watching him. He's got it in his pocket. And, I, and I'm watching him carry the jewel. And all I can think of, I need to get that jewel back because he is very vulnerable to losing it. He doesn't realize what he has. He do, he's not walking in a way that will protect that jewel. And so that's scene two. And all I can think of is how vulnerable that jewel is. As long as that guy's got it, he, does it, he has no idea what he has. Here's scene three. I'm outside our house in, in Montevideo. Our house is there. Our cars are there. And I've got the jewel back in my pocket. And I'm smiling because I realize that this house could burn. These cars could be lost. And it wouldn't change my net worth at all. I'm a multimillionaire because of this one jewel. That, that it doesn't matter. The, all that stuff is, is nothing compared to what I have got in my pocket. And I wake up. And the reason why I share it this morning is this. It's very hard to assess the value of Jesus and faith in Jesus in our culture because it's so familiar to us. Many of us were raised in the church. We were raised around this. We've got a Bible. We talk about God. We've, we've got CDs. We've got, it's accessible everywhere. And because of accessibility and familiarity, it's very easy for us to lose track of the immense value of what we have. And that makes it at risk. We have to remind ourselves of the tremendous value that we have. This is what's going on with our young people. It's very hard for young people to grasp the value of what they have in Christ. So every, every young person is at risk. Every high school kid, oftentimes they lose, quote, lose their faith when they go to college. Why? It's, it's hard for young people to grasp the value of what they have. Now, does anybody thank God for Proverbs where it says, raise up a child in the way that he will go. And when they get older, they'll, they'll return to it. They'll come back to it. That, that given a little time, given a little space, they will See the value. Ultimately, everybody's got to see the value themselves. It's the treasure hidden in a field. You've got to see the treasure yourself. We are at risk in America because of familiarity. So I'm reading this book called in The Insanity of God. And he's writing, he's doing his research, research. Nick Ripkin is the guy that writes it. He's doing his research in the mid-90s. And he's over in Russia, and he's, he's interviewing people that, that grew up under communist Russia. And of course, in the 90s, it was all freedom in Russia. And, and now Bibles were everywhere, and churches could be built again, and they, they changed it, it, Leningrad to St. Petersburg again. And I mean, it was, it was a time of freedom. And he said, uh, he said it was really disturbing to talk to some of the older people and some of the younger people, because the older people said back in the 50s, when communism came in and Bibles were taken away, that there was a revival among young people, and young people had 
almost all of the Christian young people had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John memorized. And he said, today's young people, in, in freedom, where Bibles are everywhere and everybody's got access, he, he interviewed the Christian teenagers. They could barely come up with a few Bible stories. Why? Because in the 50s, because of restriction, because of persecution, the value of the word of God was clearly seen. But availability and familiarity we can lose track of what we have, folks. You need to remind yourself every day, this is the most important thing going on on this planet. This is precious. This is what needs to be protected. This is, this is that which for joy you sell everything else so that you can own this. We need to remind ourselves to persevere of the value of what we have. Secondly, to persevere, we need to remember those who have gone before us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. One of the translations, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Remember those who have gone before. Here's why the book of 2 Peter is written. In chapter 1, you just go down a few verses, 14 and 15, Peter says this, that Jesus has shown him, he's almost, he's, he's just about to leave the body. His end is coming. He is going to his reward. Peter is writing for us. God is speaking through him. Peter's made it. Peter, through all of his ups and downs, he made it. And he's still speaking to us today. Come on. I made it. You can make it. The the correlation book to 2 Peter is 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, it's the same story. Paul's right at the end of his life. These are gifts, folks, to us. He says, I I have finished my race. I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. He's writing 2 Peter. He is just about to die, and he's writing it for us. Keep going. Keep going. I made it. You can make it. Paul, who was killing Christians. Paul, who was so deceived that in God's name, he was doing horrible things. Paul made it. You can make it. Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, 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 we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The therefore, here's why the therefore is there for. He's referenced in chapter 11. Chapter 11 are all the people of faith that went before us. All the people, their lives, he says, are still speaking to us. 
And they all made it. They're all part of that cloud. They're all cheering us on. And you, re- you know why that list is so encouraging in Hebrews 11? Because these are really normal people. David made it. Abraham made it. Samson made it, praise God. People that failed in a thousand ways still made it. They persevered. They got up again and they made it. And now they are part of that cloud of witnesses. And he says, you need to throw off every sin and every weight and run, listen, with perseverance. The race that is set before you. This is a marathon. This is, you got to keep going. You got to get up again. The race isn't over until you see Jesus. We need to keep going. Those who have gone before, those who have already made it, encourage us. But no one encourages us like Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. He went before you. He suffered He suffered in a way that if you will fix your eyes on him, you will gain strength. He didn't give up after the price that he paid for you. The price you're paying is not the same as the price he paid for you. He paid a way greater price than you did. Be encouraged by that. He never promised us that there wouldn't be difficulty. He never promised us that it wouldn't be hard. He went first before us. Fix your eyes on him. Look at the price he paid first and and only assess the price you're paying in light of the price he paid first for you and me. And it will encourage you to buck up and to not give up and even call suffering for him um, a privilege. And then finally, We remind ourselves of the value of what we have in Christ. We remember those who have gone before us. And then lastly, we rest in his grace. 2 Peter 1-2 starts out by talking this about may grace be multiplied to you. It ends the same way in verse uh, 18 of chapter 3. May you grow in the grace that is available to you. This is all about you being a partaker of the divine nature and what grace is able to do in you. And it it becomes, Pastor Tom, we're supposed to rest in that grace. And Peter keeps saying we need to be diligent. How does diligence and rest go together? This is the paradox of faith. Paul says, well, whoever you think wrote Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 9 and 10, there's a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Be diligent to enter that rest lest you fall by the same example of unbelief. We need to be diligent to partake of his grace. Diligent to stay before Jesus. Stay before this fountain of grace. Stay before him. Because in Jesus is the secret to persevering. He is both the author and the finisher of faith. We just need to stay in there. Philippians 1.6 Paul says this, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day which Jesus Christ Jesus returns. I'm confident he's not going to give up on you. Hang in there. 
He who began this thing is going to finish it. But you need to stay in there. The companion of 2 Peter is the book of Jude. They both have the same theme. They share a lot of the same stories. Jude Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2 are almost identical in in the stories they tell. And it's all about this theme of not falling away. Here's how Jude ends. This is Jude 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Jesus is the one that's able to keep you from falling or stumbling. This is part of who he is. He is that great. So here's how I want to end. A few weeks ago, I talked about the courtroom. And in the courtroom, we have uh, the enemy who accuses the brothers, the, the brothers and the sisters before the throne. These are who, those who are already Christians. He is accusing us day and night before God. So we know that the prosecuting attorney is, is Satan and his accusations against us. And we know the accused, that's us. And it says in 1 John 2 that we have an advocate, which means a defense lawyer, who if we sin, we have an advocate before the Father, and it's Jesus who is the propitiation, who died for us, who shed his blood. He is standing by us. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by his, his, the price that he paid for us. And we know that the judge is the Father. And a few weeks ago, we talked about this courtroom and I, and I ended by saying, who, who is the jury? We're the accused, but who is the jury? Because the jury, the jury, when the jury's out, the jury is the one everybody's waiting for because that decides whether the accused is going to go free or go to prison. So who's on that jury? That's a really important jury. If that jury comes back, they are the ones that are going to decide whether I go free or whether I get locked up. Who is the jury? We talked about this. Turns out the jury is you. You're not just the accused. You're the jury. And here's what you're deciding out there. Here's what the jury has to decide. You're not deciding whether you think you have what it takes to make it as a Christian. Here's what the jury has to decide. Do you believe that Jesus has what it takes to make you a Christian and keep you a Christian until he comes back? Do you believe that the blood was enough for you to free you from all accusation? Do you believe that his grace is powerful enough to keep getting you back up, to keep inspiring you, to keep you energized, to make it all the way to his coming. That is what the jury decides. Is Jesus able to do this? And for those that say, that come back and say, yeah, Jesus is able. Yeah, Jesus can do this. Jesus is powerful enough. His blood was enough. He can do this. He's got enough to make make me make it all the way. Well, here's, here's the verdict then. You're free.
you get to walk in freedom. Your whole Christian life can be walked in this freedom that Jesus is able. And the accusations come. And guys, as we live, this is why so many fall away. There's an accuser. There's a liar. There's a deceiver that's really good at what he does. The only way you overcome him is by reminding him who Jesus is and the price he paid. God wants you to win. God wants me to win. God wants us to walk in freedom down here. But we got to put the stake in the ground. Say, I'm not giving up. No matter how much comes at me, no matter how difficult, no matter what accusation, I'm not giving up! Can we have every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment? Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. You don't know that your sins are forgiven or if you died, you would go to heaven. The Bible says this. Jesus himself says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and sup with him. Jesus knocks. And that's all he will do is knock. You have to open. It's not enough that he knocks. It's not enough that you've had experiences where God has knocked. That's God knocking. That's not you opening. You and I have to open the door and say, Jesus, please come in. Save me. Make what you did on the cross good for me. If that is you with every head bowed and every eye closed, because this is between you and him. If that is you, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it. I'm going to pray. I see that hand. God bless you. I'm looking all over this place. Anybody else? I know that most here are already Christians, but does anybody want to join this one that has raised their hand? How many know that Jesus would do it all for one? Oh, I see another hand in the back. God bless you. Would you just, if you raised your hand, just slip your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this. Lord, I hear you knocking today. Thank you that you want me to make it. Thank you that you, 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 you want me to overcome. You don't want my name to ever be erased from the book of life. Jesus, I'm confirming my reservation today. Come in, fill me, save me. Grant repentance that I might follow you. Not just today, but every day. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And could we all stand together? encourage you to put a stake in the ground today. I want you to think of everything you've already done for Jesus, everything you've already sacrificed for Jesus, everything, everything that, that he's done for you, everything that exists in that relationship. Now here's how you give great value to it. You say, I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to give up. If you want to put that stake in the ground today, would you just open your arms like this? Join me in doing this. I want to pray for us. 
Lord, there is a certain vulnerability just being on planet Earth. Because so many hard things happen and confusing things and painful things and troubling things. And and then, Lord, sometimes our faith feels like it's more smoke than fire. Sometimes we feel weak. Sometimes we feel like we, t- we took the stew that Esau, that Jacob made for us and we already ate it and, and now we feel bad and you're inviting us to come back, to get back up again, to make a better choice. Lord, I know that very, very soon we're going to all be home. God, I pray for us in this land of materialism and familiarity and accessibility to a thousand Bible things. Lord, I just pray that you would show every single person in this room the treasure again. Please show us Jesus again. Please show us the value of our faith again, God. Please, God. Please, God. Please, God. Please, God. Lord, I want... I want people to walk in a way that I know that pearl, that jewel is safe. I just know it. They, they recognize what they have. They recognize there are people trying to steal. God, I pray in Jesus' name for any that have just been stumbling maybe over Christians, over TV evangelists, or over this bad thing or that bad thing that they see in their spouse or Christians that are supposedly on fire. Lord, I pray that you would grow us to the place that we will not stumble over what other people are doing or not doing. Grow us in your grace. Grow us in your grace. And Father, I pray for a diligence to be released in all of your people. A diligence to rest in what you have done for us and in who you are, dear Jesus. Bless this church. And make us a blessing everywhere we go, I pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.